Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another session. This is the Doctor Speaking, dissecting the intersection between work and learning. Uh, this is our second last episode for the season, and uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is because my guest today will actually be a returning guest for season three. So you will uh, know that for season two, we're looking at Gen Z, we're looking at high degree apprenticeships and what this offers in terms of career and we're going to be talking about all of that today i'm going to introduce my guest in a minute but in season three uh, which we're going to kind of kick off november 2023 for the start of the new academic year um, i'm going to be looking at those who are a little bit more mature in their career pathways um, they may be kind of, you know, Gen X's, uh, boomers, kind of 50 years and older, might be a boomerang uh, career generation. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, where you're at now. Uh, you know, what are you thinking about your careers as you you kind of begin to think about, uh, you know, pension and all of those kinds of things, which are all important uh, conversations to be had. And we can still gain some insight from that. So that's season three. Do look out for that coming in November. Right. So let me introduce my guest today. My guest today is an academic from a university in the south of England, uh, a prolific publisher. And the reason why I chose them to come on as a guest is because they published an article uh, which is a very uh, fascinating and um, provocative article. It's published in the Higher Educational Skills Work-Based Learning Journal, uh, and we'll give you the link in the description of the podcast, but it's called Degree Apprenticeships in UK Higher Education Institutions. Are they viable? Da, da, da. So you can kind of guess where we're going today. We're talking higher degree apprenticeships in the UK. Um, we're not going to give you definitions for the moment. It will get it will come out as we have this conversation. But we want to think about, again, how this shapes and defines careers, particularly in the UK through higher degree apprenticeships. So let me introduce my guest, Becky. Hello. Hello there. Hi, Trevor. Hi. That was a very long-winded introduction, but it's great to have you on this podcast. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing sort of some of my insights with your listeners. So, Becky, introduce yourself. I hinted that you're from the south of England, but, but you know, rattle off all those accolades. Go for it. Thank you, jokes. Yeah, oh, of course, I'm delighted to. Um, I've been in the higher education for the last 20 years at the University of Portsmouth, as you mentioned there, but I've always been more operationally focused, so course leadership roles, teaching, but I've always had this special interest in how university education can improve kind of employability, making the learning count through so those sort of real life learning experiences. I suppose to put that into context, prior to my academic career, I had 10 years in recruitment consultancy. And initially when I started teaching, I reflected on the importance of students gaining experience, kind of paid or otherwise, but also as I started to sort of grow in my tutorial role to those students, I appreciated the valuable learning for students from insights to the working world and, and the ease of students to really understand the, the, the kind of the business concepts when they had those insights. So I suppose taking the wide umbrella term of work integrated learning, I, I supported students through placements. I tried to link their assessments with real experience, site visits, guest speakers, that sort of thing. And sort of, I suppose, you know, 
resorting to some of my network that I had previously. Um, and really so that when they 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 left us at, from uni the university, they felt really confident and ready for the world of work. And it kind of ties in. So when in, in 2016, I was asked to develop degree apprenticeship programme for the business faculty at the University of Portsmouth, I was kind of really eager to accept the challenge. To me, degree apprenticeships provided a real opportunity to make that difference, a real impact through education. It was all about the fundamental underpinning of apprenticeships as well, the sort of work integrated learning, that learning through life experiences that really appealed to me and probably on a bit of a personal front to collaborate with our local employers as well. I'll be honest, after five years of a roller coaster experience as programme director across the business DAs, I absolutely love the role. I then had an opportunity, though, to focus on, on degree apprenticeship research and sort of kind of share my lessons that I've learned. Um, and, and especially for the work at integrated learning in that sort of framework of degree apprenticeships, but also to investigate if there were further ways that we could improve uh, or enhance our degree apprenticeship practice to really increase the impact of work integrated learning for, for all of us, really, and in a way that was viable for stakeholders. So our apprentices, the employers, they're represented by their line managers and also the higher degree apprenticeship providers as well. Uh, in the early days, I worked with ambassadors who led apprenticeships in the organisation on our DA pro programmes through action learning sets to really identify the issues and take really try and act, take actions to resolve those pro pro problems. Some issues were obviously fairly easy, they're fairly straightforward. For example, one issue which I think is always is that understanding of what is the concept of work-based learning, which I know we've had discussions on your own podcast here. So as a community we sort of kind of came together with our own little working definition we also sort of kind of shared hearts and minds stories so that we could communicate the more positive messages to our senior leaders which i think is really important in the degree apprenticeship world um, but we also came against far more trickier issues. And one of the main findings from the action research was the role of line managers for work integrated learning. It really is the success that we needed for degree apprenticeships. This led to further research between um, so Dr. Lisa Rowe and I started looking into to, from the line manager's perspective. You know, what's the value for them, really, for and for the work um, integrated learning? We, we sort of explored what the barriers were, but also how we could support. And that led to our recommendation of a toolkit, which uh, for, for managers to be able to support their apprenticeship journey. Fortunately, we received some funding from that for the AWD as well to develop a digital toolkit, which we've recently launched with our university um, line managers. So, you know, give you an update on that. Finally, I know the research that caught your eye, Trevor, was the paper recently published regarding the viability of degree apprenticeship. And, and I just felt at that moment that after five years leading the DAs, it felt a really good and appropriate point to just sort of kind of stop and really scrutinise well, what has been published in the DA literature. And it's in this literature of integrative literature review where the three main themes of research that had been published up until 2022 was starting to, to, to sort of show itself. And it, it was about the stakeholder collaboration that was going to be vital. It was about the widening participation and also very much about the work integrated learning. And in the uh, in, in the on, on, in the paper there is a handy table if so if any of your listeners are starting out on research I, I do encourage them to kind of take a look at that as well because it might be a good starting point for them. Another output from this research show was exploring the viability through the higher education lens. There were some great ideas of future improvements and recommendations to enhance work integrated learning in the DA framework but there were also tensions. Yeah I felt the tensions, my other sort of compatriots across the country started to feel the tensions and it essentially it's about all parties having very little resource time and money to really contribute to these recommendations so the practical contribution for this was if HEI's 
sort of um, higher education establishments were considering to expand or launch, they may want to look through the, the knowledge checklist, which we provided, which provided in terms that's, you know, in the appendix there. And the aim of that really was to kind of guide to have appropriate dialogue and discussions kind of before you ventured in. So I suppose it was a, take a look at this and see if it can kind of help and, and let, let's communicate because so much was about communication. And uh, Trevor, I think probably the question of the viability is potentially really important for the future because there's been quite a lot, hasn't there, in the press? I don't know if you noticed the advanced HE recently um, and they're reporting that DAs are growing so we've got stats you know starts in the degree apprenticeship levels that's six and seven have grown to 43,200 that's for all, across all ages in last academic year and also that growth might continue as well so I think this is important because actually if we're expected to grow by you know it's being heavily promoted by ministers and uh, the prime minister himself um, my concern would be that the concern that the, the demand gets so high that we haven't actually got it's, it's not viable for us as providers to keep with that quality and an impact really of work integrated learning and I feel really strong that if you haven't got the impact if the individual's not learning there's not the 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 that learning coming back into the workplace you start to sort of quite a question are they successful so i think it's i think it's all you know it's it's about us all clubbing together and having and striving for that mutual success if i was going to be honest so i you know it's not that i have a, a kind of a downer at all on da's because i'm still passionate about them but yeah it's more that i think um the expectation for us in her is setting a very high bar yeah, well, we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper and we're going to unpick all those various elements. Um, and just again, listeners, to remind you, the uh, the UVAC conference coming up in November, their, their theme is going for growth. And they've picked up, uh, this is the University Vocational Council Advisory. They're looking at the this expectation by government to grow degree apprenticeships uh, and what this means for us as providers to be able to do this. So let's start off, Becky, by unpacking with your experience and, and the research that you've been doing. Why are they growing? What's good about a higher degree apprenticeship? Well, I think that's a really good question. Um, from I suppose I am in the fortunate position that I've had lots of practical experience and also the pleasure through my research to really listen to the other stakeholders' views, as I said, the ambassadors, the line managers and the apprentices. From a teaching perspective, and I'm sure you found the same, I just find degree apprenticeships a totally refreshing teaching experience, um, especially due to the... They, they, the need to integrate what they learn back into the workplace. I kind of almost sets a real life context, like a case study for apprentices to learn from, which is, you know, fairly ideal. It's even more valuable as they kind of, when they get together, they're discussing the differences operations and business problems and cultures in their own organisation. So that discussion is really rich. The degree apprenticeships are adult learners who, who are employed. So they're keen to learn. They're keen to apply their knowledge and they really relish sort of solving those business problems in the workplace. They kind of want to make a difference. They're, they're quite a pragmatic bunch. This is even greater to impact, of course, when the when the work, the environment that they work in really recognise and encourage those new ideas and fresh approaches. And, uh, and I suppose give gives the apprentice a real opportunity to showcase what they've learned and put into practice I think that's really important I think what I find in the classroom as well and I should have said earlier that I still teach on the program they have a diverse range of backgrounds inclusive of age job titles and experience and, and are kind of really keen to share their ideas and practices it doesn't seem to matter what level you are every opinion seems to count and kind of no one's judged 
the teaching sessions um, are really active and I think that's a delight and I, I don't know if you found this Trevor but really rich in discussion and this was even in the breakout sessions during Covid everyone kind of wants to have their say and wants to reflect in terms of what they learned which is you know kind of really important for their learning experience. The apprentices value the apprenticeship too perhaps if I share a few quotes I think from a current research on apprenticeship identity that might sort of put it into context. Um, it was, I hate to sound a bit corny but they really are sort of teaching like bulb moments. Um, what is what is you you know it made me realise that actually I'm academic. I think it's a belief in yourself, showing belief to others. So yeah, it's just my confidence has grown massively in everything I do. I just sort of you know take it on board now instead of thinking oh god I can't do this. And I thought that really sort of summed it up quite nicely. Um, and what I hadn't appreciated in my recent researches into apprenticeship learning was just how the apprentices loved the, the peer learning, a real cooperative environment, the pride in their group. They all said they had the best group um, and embraced their diversity um, as one apprentice said you know they, they are a right old mix but again a, an, another little quote just to share that with you is the cohort they've been fantastic we're really close I've never envisaged you know what when I started to think I'd be mixing with 20 year, 22 year olds sitting there having a chat about things and helping them and they help me on the computer side of things and another one is I think it's more the fact we're there for each other we understand how hard it is if you don't get it we're all honest and open with each other not one of us turned around and said oh yeah this is this is well easy. I, I just thought again that sort of kind of summed it up in terms of the collaborativeness that you, you actually get within the classroom because of these sort of um, experienced workers. I was lucky also to have a bit of insight into the values for managers. Would you like me to elaborate on that Trevor as well? Um, Before we lose the, the, the you know you're giving us some amazing quotes here. Do, do you have a like a, a really success story that can be linked to some of these quotes because they are great what you're sharing you know the collaboration and you know all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to define one success story. In all honesty, I'd like to share the, the you know, the success stories of prizes of gate that so many have gained promotion whilst on the programme. They've continued to study, which um, to me, that's, you know, music to my ears, you know, and, and actually gone on to masters. And and also the links to citizenship as well in the community. So they've got very keen and, you know, come off to other elements through the sort of university system. But also, of course, the impact of their work-based learning projects. So there's, you know, multiple projects that um, have really made a difference within the workplace. I think, though, the biggest success story is due to the apprenticeships themselves. I think whilst on course they seem to have had a total change of mindset their confidence grows these students are often learners who previously thought studying was absolutely not for them and it's it's really interesting you know in recent research it's really sort of come out that they suffer from difficulty from school experience you know including bullying anxiety and generally when they first arrive um i, I don't know if you've seen it yourself it's that real imposter syndrome it's that you know why am I at university I'm surely I shouldn't be here which I think is fascinating and a, a sort of a personal success story was we sort of obviously try and develop learning strategies to try and improve all of that and, uh, and that sense of belonging particularly and, and my colleague Dr Cheryl Brook and I are quite proud of the fact I suppose it's our own personal success story that we introduced action learning set which met for with some real positive uh, results and I think we sort of invite the apprentices into the session they discuss their project they discuss their progress um, with their sort of smaller peer groups and they've got support at every stage as they go through and I think what I find is it's, it's kind of a safe place to listen without judgment from anybody and so yes they have got what they perceive to be real problems but kind of through the action learning style questions they start thinking oh crikey hadn't thought of that hadn't looked at it that way um, and because we've got a nice diverse mix 
of apprentices within that group it kind of helps because you are getting that diversity of of, of opinion too um and so they sort of go away with lots of actions that they resolve themselves or they you know ask managers help so yeah i think that's got to be the you know they the sort of kind of the success stories from that and of course we have the the beauty of actually reading their reflections on on, on their learning as well so yeah i so to answer one particular success story is quite tough i think there's lots of success stories out there that's brilliant that's brilliant now I know that we could speak for hours on this and I know you mentioned something <laughs> about values, but let, let, let's just uh, get all the key elements out first and then we'll see whether we have time at the end and we can we can pick this up next time as well. You mentioned the paper was talking about the viability. So let, let's go into the area of policy. What in your experience has been some of the challenges around policy? For those of you outside of the UK, you know, uh, high degree apprenticeships are, are, are kind of, I don't want to use the word governed, but regulated, is that the right word as well, by a number of organisations, the Department of Education, uh, the EFSA, which deals with all the funding, Ofsted comes in, which is our national kind of inspection body. So, so what were the challenges for you in terms of policy? Um, I think I'll be brave here and it sometimes feels like well-meaning further layers of time consuming and resource wasting bureaucracy. So I am being extremely honest. Um, <laughs> and I think probably from my perspective, and I'm sure, sure similar to yourself, Trevor, is that I simply want the apprentices to learn and grow and provide impact back to, into the workplace through all their sort of lovely new knowledge and, and their skills and behaviours and then hopefully get recognised for it. I think that's sort of really probably where I'm coming from perhaps you know um, so a little bit tongue-in-cheek in terms of my statement there but I do feel that sometimes the policies do feel that they're more relevant in in further education as in higher education you know we have got those quality procedures in place we've got the OFS we've got the UA quality code for higher education and so on and so on and it's kind of really time consuming um, sort of you know that pro direct, program director role to kind of keep yourself up to date to navigate the outside the the procedures meet with senior leaders leaders inside to kind of explain what's going on and what steps are we going to take as a university and also keeping all our stakeholders in the loop because we've got this other set of, of, of state stakeholders compared to our, our, our normal um our normal situation in, in providing education um and it was kind of tough you mentioned some of the 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 sort of the different acronyms there it was tough to keep up with the acronyms on on a just a, a basic scale especially when they started merging merging so we had the i think we had the efa merging into the sfa to be for the esfa and so on and so on the levy of course again was it, it's kind of a you know in, in some ways it was it's great because it's where employers were playing, you know, it did create sort of an idea, a, a sort of a, a framework for long-term sustainable funding. And But again, administratively, this was really quite time consuming for us. It, uh, it did mean that employers were more interested to invest, which was, you know, that's great for us. But it's also they were very particular about um, which providers were they were working with as well, and um, you know, kind of understandably. So some of the larger organisations, um, especially public sector, involves very complicated bids. That universities on the whole were not massively set up to write bids and, and all the administration that's going for that. So again, it was it's sort of extra on top of the normal role. Yeah, and and I think that there's obviously been some criticisms against the levy and that it incentivised employees to spend the levy. 
otherwise they lose it. It's that sort of like you use it, to, use it or you lose it type statement that we've heard. But then again, for us, it it means that you know obviously the employers want to spend it. And they start treating apprenticeships a little like training, which is obviously one of our concerns in in higher education because we would feel that particularly from from my standpoint, it's about management education that we're delivering here, and it's about academic skills for now and the future, and it's you know the critical skills and so on and so on. And also, I think with a levy, many employers won't actually supported financially to, to actually train their managers to, to be able to develop how you know what is an apprenticeship what is this work-based learning all about and perhaps some, some they weren't giving any sort of extra time or explicit training really which I think hasn't kind of helped over the last few years I think we're getting better um, I think we've got a long way to go but um, there's a lot we're trying to kind of learn from each other all of the time. Um, Ofsted as well um, you know obviously a government empowered to inspect the degree apprenticeships at higher education in England it obviously made sense to align to further um, education you know FE and, and the further education type apprentices um, but it do so did cause a lot of anxiety for, for universities to make sure we were meeting these additional standards as I say on top of the normal standards that we have in university we kind of had to navigate this and you know we found ourselves employing a new post to lead this a degree a apprenticeship quality manager you know a, a well worthy recruitment but again it was additional resources um, and hence my suggestion, you know, regarding viability, you kind of really need this if you're going to set up. But there is, you know, further investment that you need to think about. I mean, it's just the, it's, I, I suppose it's a little bit, you know, just the response to, to changes in standards or altering the funding mechanisms or, you know, the eligibility for criteria. The knock on for us is it's a, it's a huge um, time consuming mapping exercise. And <laughs> what might seem like a small change, it's, it's, it's sort of kind of becomes an eye watering large chain and, you know, re approvals and mm. all of that um yeah. and you know quite frankly we, you know we it, it's difficult to say you know the, the timing so i don't think some of the policy changes have helped and, and particularly from the perspective from internal from higher education um it hasn't helped with attitudes towards da you know they, they're probably they're, they're sometimes viewed um as quite simply too expensive and complicated to deliver and i don't you know to me that sort of kind of breaks my heart obviously because I, I think the actual end purpose is so so valuable and, and again i think this may be a problem if future government are and it's great that they're encouraging greater greater demand for apprenticeships but actually you know do we as providers actually have the resources or, or kind of interest to commit and i think that's uh you know i think that's the discussions that need to be had out there so again just to remind you all if particularly for you in the uk um do come along to the uh uvac conference in november uh, going for growth. These are the various challenges that will be uh, discussed. Uh, Becky and myself will be leading a breakout group uh, and, the, and the title of our breakout group will be how to get more mileage with a hand breakup. Uh, and it kind of captures this this tension that there's this expectation of growth, but the bureaucracy is is like driving a car with a hand breakup. Um, and, you know, the, the more you put down gas, the, the more it just drains the car energy fuel consumption you can you can go with the analogy so uh, again we'll give you the details of this conference in the description of this podcast uh, and again do reach out to us uh, if you'd like to discuss any of these kinds of things a little bit further Becky as we're coming for landing you mentioned for example having to employ somebody who looks after the quality processes I echo this. This is happening where I am at the moment as well. Uh, and goodness gracious, the amount of staff that is involved. And the more you grow, 
the the question is, you know, I, we're going with this analogy of of our breakout sessions. How many passengers are needed uh, in this car with the handbrake up in order to make this thing viable? So, what are some of the demands in your perspective and from the research that you've done on resources, on expertise, and also, you know, higher educational um, cultures? Because you're right, there is a clear difference between training and development and education, and we, we can't get the two mixed up in some way. So so what are some of the, the, the demands and res on, on all of these resources from your perspective? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I, I suppose it's this idea that universities are we're kind of quite set in our ways and we have a very strict way of doing things. So, you know, when we, when we came along, and particularly when I launched the DAs, and it's sort of like going against the institutional norms, they, they just kind of weren't aligned. So for me personally, and it's why I sort of kind of took a break from DA and the, the operational side to, and, and moved into a learning and teaching role. But, um, but I, I think one of the difficulties you mentioned there, the main difference is the demands on higher education to collaborate with stakeholders. So we needed a lot of extra people to be able to support that so I kind of and that's really come out through the research and I sort of kind of wasn't surprised we were quite lucky that we in we employed a whole administrative hub um, to kind of set that up and it was cases you know as you mentioned selling the sent apprenticeships we had to have the you know um, we customer services setting up the contracts the financial arrangements and also because of the tripart um, tripart type reviews as well so again that was a you know huge number of staff to be able to kind of organize that but then orchestrate it you know as well um in the beginning we had lots of operational teething issues that, that it was just sort of it was almost like the computer was saying no on the on, on what i look back now on kind of sort of ridiculous things such as you know yes they are teaching all day in the same room and yes they do need comfortable seating it was <laughs> kind of boiled down to that um, and, and it kind of and there's a lovely expression from Wellborn um, in, his, in their paper, institutional stickiness. And I just think that totally sums it up. Nice. It's exactly, you know, asking for, you know, like, you know, they are mature. They do need comfortable seats. And, and it was that sort of repeated emails. It's, this, you know, it was that kind of thing. It's sort of thing. But it was, it, you know, it's difficult to get off the road. Um, you know, go back to the stakeholders as well. I, I think initial guidance and, and I think it's still blurred for stakeholders. You know, we haven't got it. That's definitely coming out in the literature as well. We've got different understanding between HEIs and employers and in terms of how active we should be involved. And obviously, in terms of how active we are, there's that connotation of resource and money and time as well. Um, and the roles were a little bit, they're quite hard to navigate, you know, what should a line manager be doing? You know, what should a course leader be doing? And of course, a, a little bit um, in other research, it's referred to as cast adrifts. And I think that's sort of quite nice that managers, it could just get so complicated that we kind of, I just think we, we sort of get detached and we look the other way, which is kind of a real shame and a real shame if that happens for work integrated learning. So that would be probably one of my, let's be careful about this in the future. Yeah, little, little guidance, of course, on the off the job. I don't know how many times, you know, that come up it, it just feels real off the job or, you know that's been and so it's quite nice that it's been replaced by this sort of approximately six hours where so that's probably a good change in you know policy there um and the other difficulty we had was actually capturing the activities required for the apprenticeship which are you know that the, the out outside of apprenticeships day-to-day roles so stretching apprenticeship for you know to stretch themselves for learning that again and it, that that has cost us in terms of sort of digital adaptations as well so currently using aptem and so on but also setting up all the e-portfolios and all of that that was again sort of further investment and i suppose finally it's a it's the teaching issues. Um, as we said before, the DAs are a very different group of learners. You know, widening participation, which is great and get, you know really aligns to most university strategy. But they 
they do want to they, they've got a different journey and so the, the approach needs to be different we need to be reassuring them that they have got a sense of of belonging in a safe environment that's really important they need initially they tend to need help with academic skills they bring them up to date um, you know some of them haven't studied for 20 years or, or more can you kind of you know then get hit with it study access skills that you know Hicks refers to and they often have have disliked their school environment as well and it's previously could potentially be due to unrecognised additional needs. So, you know, there's a great paper out there by Catterall um, that really sort of goes into the detail of that that I'd recommend. Um, yeah, and the support from managers, um, that, that educational education sort of principle for managers, which we, you know, so we're trying to do a little bit with the toolkit, but um, perhaps, there's, perhaps there's more there. Um, perhaps we need more support from, you know, government and funding um, to be able to do that. And there's also, in terms of our own staff on our programmes, that actually, if you're teaching on a DA programme, you've got lots of other things to consider. You need to understand the concept of degree apprenticeships. You need to understand that they've got to meet the knowledge, skills and behaviours and the different sort of work integrated learning interventions that are available to, you know, that, that they do need to have that impact and add value back into the workplace. And of course, the extra training in terms of the importance of British values and so on as well. So, yeah, it there is, you know, there's lots of different issues. It's um, But, you know, together, I think, you know, we have got to, you know, we've got to head them off. And, and kind of early, particularly if we're going to be asked to grow. I'm sure, listeners, um, you are sitting there listening to this thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to listen to this again um, to pick all of this complexity up. And you're right, it is complex. I often feel, you know, it's 80 percent on the job, 20 percent off the job, as Becky referred to. But for me, running one of these programs in a university, it often feels like 80 percent of the regulations, the efforts, the resources is on us as a university. And the other 20 percent is kind of, you know, come to a, an employer meeting or, you know, send us through these details. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, we're carrying the burden, but it feels like we are as a provider. So I hope this has given you enough of a taster of what's going on in the UK in terms of higher degree apprenticeships. Do come back. We're going to continue these conversations um, at a later stage. We will give you all of the references that Becky mentioned. We'll put that in the description of the podcast. Um, we've mentioned quite a few people that uh, we recommend you read their papers. Uh, and also, uh, just to bring your attention to um, at the University of Kent, where I am based, uh, we are running a work integrated learning higher degree apprenticeship in the last weekend in November. And our focus, and you've heard it from Becky, is all around collaboration. Um, these programs are so complex that to do it on your own is almost impossible. And you need a lot of good communication, a lot of good collaboration, particularly if in the UK we're really serious about uh, increasing employability skills, getting young people in employment, reskilling, upskilling. We need to do this in partnership with each other. And so the entire conference is focused around that in partnership with the Higher Educational Skills Work-Based Learning Journal and uh, ESRIA, which is the European Society for the Research of Adults in Education. Uh, and again, we'll give you the description of all of that uh, in the podcast. Becky, wow, uh, this has been an absolute speedy run through high degree apprenticeships uh, in the UK. Thank you for your time and for sharing with us your insights. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Uh, uh, 
And again, uh, if you're in the UK, uh, do look at the UCAS conference in November as well. You're spoiled for choice uh, and it would be great to touch base with you. So uh, do tune in. I've got one more episode coming up. I'm not going to let the can out the bag or who that is, but it's a it's a corker to finish uh, the season two on uh, work integrated learning, particularly among the younger generations. Uh, and then do return for season three come November-ish. Uh, we're going to start looking at uh, those who are in their final career stages and, and how they've navigated uh, the complexities uh, and how they continue to do that. So thank you again. See you next time. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to the doctor and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning.